Hey, Gabe. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Nice. Awesome. What, what's, is there something wrong with the audio? No. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Hello to all you new listeners. This is Creative Lines, where we hear from real artists talking about their real lives. This is your host, Gabriel Frisella, and I'm recording here from sunny Mongolia. In this very first episode, I talk with Ariana Mao, an artist who I've known for a long time, but haven't been in real contact with for a good while. So we get to reconnect and uh, learn and talk about what all she's been up to. We also struggle through some audio and technical issues with the call, not unexpected, when connecting from Mongolia to Canada. Uh, But anyway, I'm just really glad it was Ariana who I got to work all that out with, uh, because she is a very kind and patient and understanding human being, and it was really no trouble getting through all that with her. And now finally, if you're wondering about the episode title, we're wondering, what is a bellwether? Well, just sit tight, because I was wondering the exact same thing, and we are going to get to that. So now let's get into things. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you listeners to my good friend, Ariana Mao. Hi, Ariana. Hi, Gabe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really sleepy. Uh, I ended up staying up way too late last night uh, making some art. Um, and so it now, goes. Yeah, so it goes. Uh, when you work full time and then you also have like a personal project you want to work on and some kind of self-imposed deadline. <laughs> hmm. Well, having a self-imposed deadline is pretty helpful on that front. But yeah, no, I remember seeing um, this afternoon for me getting uh, your confirmation message at 2.30 in the morning, your time? Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. So four, four and a half-ish hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. Yeah, it's been like that for about a week. Uh, oh my gosh, wow. It's, it's not that bad. I've done it for longer. Uh, I don't recommend it. I think if people are better at organizing their time, like time management as an adult should definitely be a skill that people should have. But I clearly don't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's rough. It's, it's rough. Four hours of sleep for a week. I would just be so miserable at that point. Like I'm the type of person where if I don't get like nine hours of sleep, then I'm having a bad day. <laughs> uh, I think it's like, I think part of it is actually also just um, the thing I'm working on is something I've been wanting to work on for a really long time. Like I've, so I'm working on a comic and I've been interested in making comics and trying to draw a comic for like my entire life. Um, and I finally got a script together that I'm really happy with. And I'm actually just trying to like get through it. Uh, And so working on it is super fun. And it invariably ends up that I'll work on it after I get off from work and I get home and do all the other stuff. I'll go until like two in the morning. And then I realize, oh, no, it's it's time for bed. And Uh. I think two in the morning is like the best time to decide, well, maybe 
it, it, no, not the best, actually. The the worst time to decide. It may, maybe I want to stay up a little bit longer to finish a thing instead of sleeping like an adult. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so. I've been there. Um, okay, so you're doing, you're working on a comic. Um, now, I've, I have done, I will admit, I did one very short-lived webcomic at one point, and um, it got like I got uh maybe like 10 weeks into it and doing one every week and then I got it to a point where the story was in a place that was like super dark and I had nowhere to take it and I just left it there um because I did no planning on it but it sounds like you have done planning on it you you said that you did a script how does that work um I I don't know I think <laughs> I think scripts are kind of this like weird magical process that everyone has does a little bit differently. Uh, there's like before writing the script, I, I did some like research on seeing how like really famous comic book writers would do their scripts, and it looks like it's laid out like quite a lot like a movie script. So you'll have uh, a description of the broad layout of what you want the uh, page to look like, and then a description of your exposition panels and you know general actions and then dialogue and stuff like that. So I, I scripted it uh, like a while back. And I think people who are more rigorous about their writing and scripting, are able to take a script that they've written and and just run with it and like follow it beat by beat because they know ahead of time what that kind of thing looks like. For me, a script ends up being like a guideline for where I even want to start with it. It's just something that I've, it's like script is draft one and then the pencils or the thumbnails are like draft two and three and yeah. Okay. Uh, Wow, that's really interesting. So it it sounds to me like um, like these really famous comic book artists that you looked into. It sounds to me like they have a very similar process to like storyboarding a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it might have also not helped that like one of the the really great comic book writers like Neil Gaiman. I was looking into his process, and he is a writer, so. Yeah, his his uh, scripts very much feels like if you took his writing and pared it down to kind of a a script for a TV or movie, um, as opposed to someone who maybe starts from a more like visual background like me, who might have a more looser approach from the uh, writing side and kind of refine it as they go uh, as they process through the art side. Um, well, that's pretty interesting. And uh, I now can think of if if I ever want to uh, try a comic book again, now I have a good starting point. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty good to um, also have maybe an outline or an idea of the kind of comic book you want to write. And at least like the next 10, 15, 20 pages of where you want to go. I very much respect the people who can do the sort of like 
slice of life daily comics or go with the flow kind of uh, you come up with an idea maybe two or three days or maybe a week or more ahead of time and you kind of can turn them out and the story can grow as you produce them for me uh, my brain just doesn't work like that like I want to make a daily kind of comic that's easy and or easier and can adapt to uh, the story as it develops, but it always ends up being like, I'd like to tell a longer running story. Um, and so that's just how it ends up being. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Um, okay, so you uh, you mentioned comic books a lot. Is this a comic that you're developing? Is this a comic that is intended for print or is it going to be published on the web or what? Um, so I'm drawing it with the intention for print. I think that there's something interesting about how panels interact with each other. I think this gets into this like uh, like a philosophy of comics maybe or art just um, because like it, like if you read the the Scott McCloud's like making comics uh, comic graphic novel he's got this really interesting like he talks about all the structures of what makes a comic uh, and then the rules of how that works so once you kind of understand that there's certain things you can play with and break and I always think that that's kind of a fascinating thing uh, when an artist chooses to use that in a way that like really underscores the story um like if you look at how uh there's this really great webcomic. Uh, oh my gosh, I forgot the name of it. Um, or even like Sandman comics, like the way that he structures the panels or decides to break out of the panels um, that underscores certain elements of what's going on in the Sandman world. Um, so I think like setting up a comic like that it's meant for print allows you to make that kind of decision about the interrelationship of panels. Um, and you can allow like a reader. Hey, sorry about that, but this is one of the places where our audio cut out so there was a little bit of a break while we tried to figure out what was going on. And uh, we're going to pick up. It's going to be a little abrupt, but we're going to move on. All right. So it's been long enough that I do not quite recall the exact thread that we were on. Uh, we were talking about comics, though. Um, so let's try to pick up with that. So... Uh, your comic the one that you are doing do you want to talk a little bit about that um sure why not um it's kind of uh it, it's kind of I, I wanted to really like explore uh kind of chinese mythology um as like kind of experience through my own childhood and background actually that makes it sound like it's like a very personal it's it's uh yeah that's 
that's kind of how it is. It's like um like a, a Canadian experience of like a Chinese mythology background. Um, well, that yeah, does sound I, pretty personal. Yeah, it's huh. I don't know. I haven't really thought about how I would pitch this kind of thing. It was just like a story I wanted to write. Um, uh, like, like uh, I think a better way of explaining it maybe is, you know, those like stories about kid falls through like uh, a hole in the ground and ends up in a completely different world. Um, like fairyland or whatever it's like that yeah but like it's... the chronicles of narnia lion witch in the wardrobe type of situation falling into another world yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um and i love those books and I, I think the chronicles of narnia like if this gets anywhere like that that, that would be amazing but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like a lot of what i read is high fantasy and um a lot of what's available and there's nothing wrong with it is, is it has come to come from like a very uh, Western European, very specifically like British uh, background because Tolkien, right? Um, and it's great, but I think it would also be nice to have stories from like other cultures. And I think like it, there's not a lot of it and I don't for a ton of different cultures, but I can do this one. <laughs> this one I have background in. <laughs> I like so, that. I like that. I can't I can't speak for every culture, but I can do this one. That's good. Um yeah, no the exactly what you're saying about like a lot of fantasy, which there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of fantasy is very western european germanic um origins and um you know like recently I I read through the Witcher book series which is uh, interesting in that it's also like it's it's fantasy but it comes from like a slavic origin so it's a different take on things and i will say that i will look forward to your comic <laughs> and uh, another different take on on high fantasy yeah i uh i mean this is a podcast about art so I don't want to derail it too much by talking about books um oh, I've been don't trying worry about derailing it <laughs> this is whatever we want it to be <laughs> I've been trying very hard and I think like it's a similar thought process for some people when it comes to consuming um visual media as well uh to try to find authors of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds um and it it it's nice now it's and I feel like in the last few years it's definitely been something that's on a lot of people's radars so it, there's more of it um, like Afrofuturism is a huge thing in the sci-fi fantasy literary world and I'm sure in comics as well um, like there's a lot of really great like uh, Southeast Asian and uh, continental Asian uh, like writers and artists um, and it's it's just really nice to see like how people how like where the commonalities for uh, people's experiences are, and then also just like the ways that it can be a little bit different. Which yeah. I think like art is uniquely posed to kind of explore. 
the differences, the uniqueness of, of different cultural backgrounds and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to, Gabe, art-wise recently? <laughs> oh, well, this isn't about me. This is about <laughs> you. <laughs> no, that's my deflection because I've been up to um, more or less nothing. I did one watercolor in the whole past year. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a Peace Corps volunteer in Mongolia, and I, I got most of my time focused on other things right now um but you know i sometimes i just like i have my moments still where i'm like man i really wish that like i had my paints and i had the time to paint (laughs) as well (laughs) because that's a big one is like just it's it's a big time commitment and i don't have the time right now to do what i might be wanting to do but yeah i I've I've got some ideas for a photography project here, but I don't want to talk too much about that. One, because I don't like talking too much about things before they happen, you know. But also because this is po- this is a podcast episode about you. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's fun to have a dialogue. So I you brought up the whole um, like not wanting to talk about projects before they happen. I 100% feel that. Like, do you, do you like, <laughs> where, where does, where do you think that comes from? Like, I, I just. Well, for me, in my experience, and also thank you for, um, you are, you are now the interviewer here. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will, I will take back my role eventually but that's a that's a good question I, I like that question a lot um for me personally where that comes from is I have had a tendency in the past to talk about like things that I want to do and then not doing them and that's kind of a sucky thing um but then I remember reading um on reddit at some point and this is probably like some pseudoscientific motivational talking type of something but it it was it was something to the effect of talking with other people about like the cool things that you are wanting to do before you have put those plans in motion to make it happen that gives you that gives you a little bit of of, uh, an endorphin rush a, a little bit of a slice of what it would be if you actually did do the thing. And so, you know, you, you get a little bit of, uh, of, of a good feeling from talking about it. And then that kind of suffices. And so I, I decided a while back that like, if, if I talk too much about the stuff that I want to do, then I'm probably not going to end up actually doing it. And um, then I feel like I've disappointed myself and other people. So it's it's kind of a, 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 a vicious cycle. Yeah, I feel like we read the same article. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> uh, yeah. Whatever pseudoscientific uh, babble it was, it made sense to the both of us. Yeah, it's like, it's like, because I think both of us probably sought it out 
because we were getting this feeling like I want to do this thing uh, and I want to talk about it but it keeps on not happening and it would happen for multiple projects and then you're just always left with this question like why isn't it happening and like you want an answer for that or at least that's how it was for me I think that's how I came across it where I was like because I I've been interested in making comics and doing art like more professionally since I was a kid like that like when I was a kid all, all I wanted to do was just be someone who gets to make art for a living uh, and luckily I get to do that now but um, like <laughs> but it, it just like as a kid it was always like I'm gonna do this thing and then not do it and then that would happen too much and I so there's like a superstition to it now almost where like <laughs> get to a certain point I don't want to show anyone I don't want anyone to ask me questions about it <laughs> let's pretend it doesn't exist until it does <laughs> <laughs> I get that though I get that you know like it there's that worry of like if I talk about this then what if it doesn't happen or if I talk about this then it then it won't happen that that at that point it is more of a superstition but I get that yeah, yeah. Um so you mentioned um wanting to do art professionally and now you are doing that. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? I have uh, looked at your website, a very nice professional portfolio <laughs> website. <laughs> um now Okay, I feel like I'm about to derail things from what I was just aiming at, but I I do have a question. So your website is bellwetherart.com. Your name is Ariana Mao. Now, where does the Bellweather Art come from? Because that's your Instagram username as well. So what what's up with that? What is Bellweather Art? Uh, at the beginning, I wanted the very simple obvious uh website domain of firstname.lastname.com um but someone else already claimed it now thankfully my my name ariana mao isn't that common but there was at least another one and she was using that domain to sponsor her uh one direction fan page um <laughs> so I had to come up with something that was a little bit like um, different and I love the political concept of a bellwether which is um, the idea that a city or a town can be for whatever reason a surprisingly good predictor of the outcome of a political election based on their voting trends. Not that they're actually influential in any way, just that coincidentally, somehow they've just been correct for several election cycles for several decades. Um, so I guess it's just the idea that like, um, the concept of being something pretentious for the future. It sounds really pretentious. It, it also just sounds like a <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's where the part comes from. Uh, the fact that I couldn't register my own name and I had to come up with something that sounded nice. <laughs> well, there you go.
had another little mishap here. All right, so we're we were we were trying to talk about your professional work. Um, so we can talk about that, but first, why don't we talk about how you first got started doing your professional work? Um. So what I do professionally is I work in 3D CG uh, and there's a lot of opinions about whether digital art counts as real art or whether like CG 3D art counts as real art. I'm not super a fan of that kind of debate. Uh, (laughs) I work in in movies, I work in feature film um, and I do a part of the process that's called lighting. So like on a set for a movie, you would have an artist that would uh, go around kind of arranging the lights so that it creates interesting shadows or highlights uh, a particular prop or actor in a aesthetically pleasing way or just like a plot important kind of way. That's what I do, but I just do it all on the computer. Um, and how I got into it, was actually uh, kind of weird. Um, So I applied to animation school and I got into a really good animation school in Canada, it's called Sheridan. Um, But when I was applying, I was also going on a bunch of Tinder dates and one of these, (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) One of these guys, he, uh was he does game art and 3d stuff and he was like oh i didn't know you were also into art stuff i mean that's not really like what you talk about on tinder um and he was like you should come to my alma mater i'll show you around it's a pretty cool looking campus uh i know you haven't considered 3d before but like you know just come check it out and i did and it was a pretty interesting place and i applied and i got in and when push came to shove uh, and I had to decide which school I went to or wanted to go to, um, I ended up choosing the CG one for really practical reasons. Uh, Sheridan is a four-year college. So if I went there, I would have had to do at least four years. And I think that's kind of necessary when you want to study animation. Um, it takes a lot of rote uh, drawing practice to get like the consistency that you're looking for in professional animator work. Um, And also to really like internalize uh, animation in such a way that it's not like a struggle when you're working. Um, But the CG school was only a year long and I don't know, I think I fell for their marketing pitch or something. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, after a year I can be an artist, cool. Uh, Sure, let's do it. (laughs) i mean when you just put up the numbers like that four years of rote drawing practice or one year of learning a very interesting and cool tool set and skill set you know i mean obviously like i i love 2d animation i love it so much but the marketing pitch like you said the marketing pitch is there yeah, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a good pitch, and uh, it, it got me. And I 
and and now I so I've been out of school for three years and I've been working professionally for three years now uh, and I met some people who were going to start at Sheridan the same year I would have started at and they're finishing up their last year right now and I'm looking at their art and it's amazing and it's beautiful and there's a part of me that wishes I went that route because that would have meant that I would have spent four years just drawing and like nothing else but also there's a little part of me that's like wow I I can't imagine still being in school right now it would kill me a little bit inside <laughs> I feel that you know sometimes I still like wake up and think like like I had a dream like I like I'm back back in school and it's awful and I'm like no please anything but that <laughs> okay now i do have a question for you okay shoot how did that tinder date go uh it was okay he was a really nice guy um we're still good friends you know it it wasn't like it didn't turn out to be uh, a relationship or anything Okay, but you know, you got a career out of it, so. Yeah, and like a a great story for my origin, like it's both unexpected. (laughs) That, you know, that works. You didn't get a relationship, but you got a career and you're still friends with the guy, you know, that's what more can you ask for? (laughs) Yeah, I think more is, uh, would be great. I think like, you know, that like dating app Bumble, like, this was right. just before Bumble came out. Oh, uh, it's like a dating app slash networking app. I, I don't know. Uh, slash networking app? I am not hip with with <laughs> with all of these social medias. Like TikTok is a thing now. Is that social media? It's, oh, I, I don't know. I think it's just like Vine, right? Is it just like a new type of Vine? <laughs> anyways, anyways. Okay, back to what you were saying with Bumble. Yeah, it it just felt like, uh, I don't know, it was a weirdly fortuitous networking connection that came disguised as a date. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out for you. So that's cool. All right. So you're, you're doing 3D animation. You work in lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that like? What's, what's the process of that? Mm, so, uh, my personal process or you mean like the process of making a movie? Well, so I feel like the second one is pretty, <laughs> is a very big question, but, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So what, what do you, what do you do? Uh, you, you do the lighting, obviously you said that, yeah. but, um, but yeah. So what, what does your tool set look like? You're not using paint brushes, of course. No. So what is your tool set? So my tool set ends up being, um, the, like, so you can do this in basically any 3d software. Uh, it ends up being, this um, interactive uh, render viewport. So what would happen is that I would have all of the assets and animation and camera would be done by these amazing artists. 
upstream from me and I would get to take all of their hard work uh, and I would render it. Um, so what I would do typically is that I would kind of like in photography, your basic lighting is like a three point light, your key, your bounce and fill, no key, rim and fill. Uh, you kind of like set that up, move things around in a way that it looks good. Um, someone described it to me as like, you're kind of like painting, but instead of using brush strokes, you're using light. Uh, which I thought was always like the better analogy for me mentally uh, instead of photography, um, because that's essentially what I feel like I'm doing. I, in any given shot, I'm looking for things that I should highlight and I need to highlight. Um, and so I'm looking at these edges and seeing how sharply contrasted these edges should be or, uh, how much like the overall value is um, and then how like on a illustrative or pictorial level, I guess, um, how to make that work. Uh, because uh, the, the, the fundamental composition of a shot is already locked. That is decided by people who are not me. Uh, and I don't have control over what that kind of final, um, like underlying composition looks like, but I do have a control over where the lights fall and what the final color ends up looking like. So I use that like very small niche in the process to really like kind of bring out uh, like extra juice uh, from the animation. All right, we had another little cut here. Uh, this is though about the halfway point of the episode, and this is the point at which most podcasts would have some sort of advertisements for some sort of sponsored products. We do not have any of that. Uh, instead, I just want to thank you all for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I want to encourage you all to leave some comments, leave some feedback. I want to know what you think. And uh, if you have any more questions for our guest, Ariana, today, if you have any uh, questions that you'd like me to ask any future guests, I want to know about that. So... Just want to give you all a little shout out, you know, encourage you all to uh, to interact and, and give some feedback. Now let's get back to the episode and hearing more about Ariana's job, what she does for a living. Okay, so let's just pick right back up where we left off. Um, okay, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so you are kind of like the last one the assembly line so to speak then because you've got the other people are are doing the the modeling there are uh, other people doing the animation other people doing the, the set pieces other people putting everything into place the staging the composition and then you are the last one there that makes sure everything looks pretty is that right 
yeah yeah that's uh that's exactly it um yeah um the other interesting part about being last in the pipeline is that you I have to be the person who, or we're the team who catches all of the final mistakes and we have to fix every single technical issue before it goes to print, so to speak. Um, so what's really interesting about this job is that I think you, there's t- like definitely many ways to approach it. Um, a lot of people approach it very artistically and a lot of people approach it very technically. So there's a a bunch of very, very technical problems to solve at the end uh, as well. Um, just in terms of like things going missing for some reason, but then also like how can you manage this large amount of assets and uh, animation and information in a way that it just doesn't make computers explode or, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, I computers are incredible incredible things that have an incredible tendency to just explode (laughs) (laughs) and um you know like i i I have a what i'm drawing from in terms of understanding what what you are doing is um i i did a lot of skyrim modding and i i did um i did uh you know, player home. So that's like level design. That's the set design. And, the, and then the last step of, of all that is putting all your lights in place. And Skyrim's engine had such huge restrictions on the lighting. And so like just getting things just right so that it looks the best that it can while still not making things explode. That's a <laughs> very difficult thing. And obviously that's on a much smaller scale. And uh much less impressive but actually I, I definitely feel that i think it's pretty impressive to uh, like modeling is impressive uh to start with but also uh doing lighting in a game engine is uh an especially tricky challenge to do um when i first started out i was working at a tv studio and they were trying to be conservative with their budget and they've been pitched the good sales pitch uh, that if you render in a game engine, uh, all your lighting comes in for free and it would be faster and it would be cheaper and it would be easier. Oh. And it's not true because a game engine, in order for it to be light enough for consoles, has to do certain tricks uh, in how it processes light. So like a modern render engine um, in like a TV or no, in a film studio is fairly physically accurate now, uh, which means that it takes the kind of like light wave particle equations and uh, essentially tries to imitate them on a smaller scale on your computer. And so then you're, the idea is that you would end up with like a kind of a very accurate result. Um, and it looks great. That's insane. Okay. (laughs) All right. Continue. Yeah. There's a, there's a, it's a, it's a vast oversimplification of what, uh, what they're doing, but essentially they're running like slightly simplified physics processes to create like as realistic, uh, a 
light as they can. Um, it, the, again, a vast oversimplification of what it really is. Uh, yeah, of course. In a game, you have to, you're not able to kind of do that exact same process. It would take way too long. Your frame rate would drop so hard. Um, but you still need to have pretty images. So there's a lot of like cheats and hacks uh, that go into making it look more or less right. Um, but it also means that it comes with a whole set of limitations. Uh, and working in a game engine and like doing mods and stuff, it, it means being able to find creative solutions around those limitations. Um, which I think well, is like interesting for the confidence. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, boosting my ego here. <laughs> I think that's um, what artists should have. I think artists like there's so many uh, different sources of like kind of. I was looking at Instagram this morning uh, just before coming on this podcast, and I was like, oh man, there's all these people who are so good and so great, and they're so young, and how long have I been doing this, and oh my gosh, why aren't I there yet? And Oh, that old <laughs> trap. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think, like, being an artist is, like, you're always perpetually in this, like, oh no, I'm never good enough, uh, and I think, like, a, a Yiko boost every now and then is, is good. Yeah, it it is good. <laughs> it is good to get that ego boost. And, uh, you know, I, this is going to sound so juvenile, but I, I would always love going and bringing new pieces of art to my mom because somehow over the many years of raising me, she learned, or she just knew even, maybe she was just that great a person to begin with. But she knew that when I brought her a piece, even if she didn't really like it so much, she would be like, oh, that looks so nice. It's good. <laughs> she was she was always my ego boost. And that was that was so great. Um, but, you know, that that comparing yourself, that's that's that that's a trap. <laughs> that's a yeah. that's a death pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like we're wired to it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I am. But uh, uh it's it's hard to because uh, like I think you kind of want to a little bit because you want to know where your potential could put like where you could be potentially uh, if you just worked hard enough it's a little bit motivating and I think that's where the trap comes from and that's why it's so like almost addictive to uh, mm. do something like this. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's 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 a it's a very good point. Seeing, uh, get, getting that motivation and seeing where you could be if you tried harder in some areas and learn more things. Um, and so you know, it, it's it's a funny thing because that comparing yourself can be such a trap, but also it's a vital part of what it means to improve as an artist is to compare your art to others art and um you know that's that's a big difficulty finding that balance of having that healthy comparison of drawing motivation and getting um getting getting good uh advice and and, and guidance on 
where to go from where you are now and like feeling like oh i'll never be good enough (laughs) or like these people are so much better than me you know like keep all that Mm -hmm. positive stuff but don't don't fall into the death pit (laughs) yeah yeah for sure uh i've been doing this thing where i try to not look at art that's too similar to the kind of art that i like to make um partly because i don't want to be like feel like a coffee cat but also because then i don't know who's like <laughs> like me but better I, I, so i look at like a lot of landscapes now i uh, <laughs> i look at like abstract paintings i <laughs> Uh, I, I try to stay away from like portraits and, and like comic book stuff uh, too much because it, it makes me feel like, 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 yeah, inspired, but also a little bit sad, depending on the mindset I go looking into mm. it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you're getting a lot of, uh, of outside influences and that's always good, you know, like it's it's always interesting seeing ab, um abstract elements mixed in with portraiture you know a, a good landscape in the background of a portrait i think what's really interesting about landscapes that uh isn't like I guess I can be brought into portraiture is I think uh it's so and some of the really great landscape artists they they kind of really pare down their shapes uh and the visual language it's it's a lot about the composition of it and and the colors of it and the edges and that's because it's like when we process a landscape uh, I guess we do it mentally different, or maybe the artists that I follow, they, they do it a little bit differently than the process for making like a portrait, like a portrait. A lot of it is very focused on like getting the anatomy uh, and the expressivity of a face down. And um, I think bringing in the influence of like, what about the color and what about the, uh, like the flow and back into it is, is nice that's that's a really good point um that's a really good point i and uh wow that is such a good point (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i mean you you know i i love portraits I, i love doing portraits i love looking at portraits um but i also yeah i don't look i'm not on instagram much these days because i'm just too busy for it but um i i follow a few landscape artists and the ones that i really like and follow are the ones that are more um more about that uh not necessarily like full abstraction but the the primary elements of the piece being in the colors and the composition and not so much the accuracy of the of the painting to the real life so to speak so i you know you put into words something that i (laughs) had not thought of before and i appreciate that i appreciate that a lot 
Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't we talk about some of your own personal work now? This is, uh, we, you've mentioned that you like to do a lot of portraits. Uh, and if I look at your, your Tumblr and <laughs> your Instagram, that's all that I see is just portraits, lots of portraits, so many portraits. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, I'm all about that. So, um, so how did you get into doing portraits? Um, oh gosh, I, I honestly, I don't know. I think, I, I think it was that like, Oh wow, you've completely stumped me. I don't. I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to know. <laughs> recently, I've been doing portraits because um, uh, there was kind of this like art challenge to do fifty portraits in two weeks. And wow. To, yeah, I got up to about twenty, uh, and I started about a week late. So I was like, oh, okay, it shouldn't be that hard. I could just need to do another thirty, and like it'll maybe take me another week and a half or something, and it's been a couple months and I've just been like kind of chipping away at that for a while. Um, you know, <laughs> tw 20 portraits in a week is very impressive. Um, now you work digitally primarily. Would you yeah. say that, um, that that kind of output is easier in digital media than traditional? Oh, 100%. But it's also because like, uh, I'm much more familiar with digital media. I, I, I don't know. I think uh, I don't have that kind of intuitive sense of mixing color on uh, canvas uh, in the same way that I would using like Photoshop, right? Um, like Photoshop mm -hmm. is, you need the value of whatever color you just, you just get that. It's very like direct and easy. There's no having to like get the correct skin tone by mixing your ochre and your uh, uh, and crimson and maybe like fallow blue or whatever and some white and like getting that exact correct shade and then putting it to your canvas and then deciding, no, that's like half a shade too bright and then having to like do more mixing. Like I think the <laughs> mixing process takes a while. <laughs> it's It's interesting that you say that because it's totally the opposite for me. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I have an intuitive sense, at least not like an inborn intuitive sense of mixing colors and pigments. But after doing it for a while, you, you get used to it. And I know exactly what to expect from the paint when I, when I mix certain paints together, um, like, uh, for 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 skin tones, um, I I know exactly which pigments. Which at this point, you know, a year after not having looked at a paint tube, a year and a half, I guess, after not having looked at a paint tube, I couldn't quite name them all. Still, but um, I I know that if I had them in front of me, I still would be able to tell. Like I I need this color and this color to get what I need. But if I'm on the computer and um, I've, I've dabbled a little bit in the past years, trying to do a little bit of digital art. And when it comes to colors, 
I don't know how to get the colors that I want because <laughs> uh, it's it's such a, a different thing. It's 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 picking exactly what you want versus pushing a physical medium into becoming what you want. It's it's very make this happen and less an organic process, and that's uh, that's a difficult thing to transition into. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it is, it can, it can be. Um, I think one of the, the nicest things that I've been trying to do recently is maybe not have to get the perfect color on the first go and kind of start doing like more washes of color and then kind of sampling from within that. The other big thing that's really helpful is to like actually just straight up steal from the uh, physical artists. Like uh, Andrew Zorn is, I think it's Andrew. Uh, he he the, he's this amazing like portrait landscape like kind of this everything oil painter and he's got this entire system for painting skin. So when I want to do a, like a more realistic looking portrait with like a cohesive color palette, I just kind of go find his and then I'll steal from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Um, so you're saying that you said doing washes, is that something that you do in digital media? Yeah, um, I, I think okay. you, have, you can convert that kind of terminology in your brain. It's it's just painting with like a slightly more transparent brush with like maybe a texture on it. Um, yeah, I've been calling huh. washes in my head uh, because, I guess it's a similar process. Yeah, because it's it's like kind of covering a very specific feeling kind of area uh, intentionally, but not all of it. And it and it feels different than blending, which is something I used to do when I started out. Um, where you so like when when I first started painting digital painting, I painted like anime characters and. So you would do your like bright color and then you would do your shadows and then you kind of like take like a smudge tool and you kind of like try to blend it together a little bit. And then hopefully Mm. that line is like blurrier and it's nice and it feels weird when you look at it. Like some people make it work for them stylistically, but I was trying to do like a weird uh, stylized, slightly realistic hybrid and it just ended up looking weird. And I would end up losing the... um, the structure, like the anatomy of uh, a portrait. And now I've been trying to move towards kind of like, okay, so I have the anatomy blocked out instead of blending and kind of smudging these car- these colors around. What if I just go over them and then like reinforce the specific like edges that I'm looking for or the specific planes of the face uh, and the highlights and I think thinking like it's it's a small like mental shift to go from blending to like washes or whatever but uh it was a really good one for me uh, mentally um to kind of have that switch uh I think it's made my process a lot faster and it feels um better (laughs) oh well okay good if it feels better and it goes faster you think it looks better too i think so i think so 
Okay, well, then I think that you can mark that down as as a personal growth point. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) So it does sound like you have, you're welcome. It does sound like you've moved into uh, taking a little bit more of a traditional media type of mindset to your uh to your digital tool set um that's that's very interesting because you know like thinking about digital media you can think like you you could place each pixel individually and have it come out looking how it does in the end but it having a a more traditional process to make that flow more organically is that's interesting to me i like that yeah is that what is that why uh digital painting has been difficult even placing pixels individually (laughs) (laughs) no okay so uh on the one hand um back when i was in high school i was very into pixel art um but uh no 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 uh <laughs> it, it it really was just down to like uh not knowing like how how i make colors happen when they don't interact uh how how paints interact uh, but <laughs> anywho um so We've talked about your professional work. We've talked about your personal work. We've talked about networking Tinder dates. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got for me? Um, so we've known each other for what, like four, four or five years now? Yeah, we've known each other about five years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, a few years ago, uh, when we, the the group of us, we were do like kind of Google Hangouts art chats. Um, mm, I think yeah. at some point we had this conversation about like uh, um, the relationship of uh, art to pain. And I I think like uh, we were all kind of on on different uh, sides of that spectrum. There was uh, someone who was very much like, no, why would you ever do art if it wasn't, if it was painful? Like art should be something uh, that you do to kind of relax, to do something different than your uh, daily life. Um, Why would you do a hobby if, you know, if it hurts? Uh, and, um, and, and I remember you were on the other side of the spectrum just saying like, well, like, that's just how it is. Like, <laughs> like sometimes you just have to, like, <laughs> like pain is pain. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and you know, pain is pain has kind of come to a new level since in the past year I've developed some really horrible back pain, but oh, no. <laughs> uh, would not like this pain, but, um, no, you know, that's, yeah, that's a very, that's a very good point. You know, for, for a lot of people, art is a very therapeutic thing. It's something that 
helps stabilize them emotionally. Um, it has never been that for me. I feel for myself uh, a, like a, a deep inner need to do art, but it is difficult. It takes a lot of work. And uh, the type of art that I like to do usually involves sitting in a chair for six hours more or less usually more and uh, feeling very sore by the end of it (laughs) so it yeah it is it is just kind of painful for me but I do it because I feel like I have to but what about you yeah, How do you I th- feel about that? I think, like, you touched on a bunch of, like, things that I, I also feel, like, um, I mean, d- doing things digitally means I get to sit down, so there's a little bit less physical aspect of, like, it's, like if you're an artist who has massive canvases and you have to stand to paint and you're painting all day, like, that there's something physical about that. But the, I think the, the whole part of... Um, art is like this uh deep internal like desire or need that that needs to come out I I think that is kind of why I mean this this might not be how what everyone feels about it but I I feel like it's uh quite a common thing that a lot of people who do art or try to do it uh more consistently feel like it it's it's almost like a thing that it's like the only thing that kind of makes sense sometimes uh, when everything else doesn't or it, it just like provides some kind of answer to existence that doesn't feel like that's kind of why I do it is, is I don't have an answer for why do I exist besides I create things and that's what I need to do. Um, so I think on like a like if 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 I say art is the solution to my existential crisis, it's quite a therapeutic thing from that perspective. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the actual mechanics of doing it, especially like on larger pieces, and, and because I'm not like naturally amazingly talented and and. Uh, and and this isn't to belittle people who put in tons of hours of work to get to how amazing they are. Uh, it takes time to develop the skills to be able to do things fast or to make things look good. So building up those skills takes time and it's pain. And to uh, make something that feels personal and to put it out there is time and pain and... <laughs> like uh just the like uh this desire for recognition and uh, wanting it to be appreciated is more time and pain there's there's definitely a lot of it to go around but i think uh especially <laughs> that last one the getting it out there uh the worst the worst part of being an artist in this day and age is that you also have to have a degree in social media marketing. (laughs) But uh, that's just, just another 
layer of pain <laughs> in, <laughs> in the world of art. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like, I, one hand, I very much admire the people who are able to play a strong social media game. On the other hand, like, I kind of wish that you don't have to. Uh, it feels like there should be some uh, theoretical purity to why people create art. Uh, and which I, which is like, I know, like a personal and kind of a bullshit, like, thought but just like I don't know it feels like social media taints it a little bit but then also how am I gonna find new and amazing artists to uh love slash hate if there isn't social media (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's a double-edged sword and if we lived in that Star Trek utopian society where there's no money and no hunger and no poverty on earth that would be amazing and maybe at that point we could all just make art for art's sake but in the meantime we got to eat so (laughs) yeah uh it's it's that's always been part of of making art is that uh you know it's it's been a trade leonardo da vinci Michelangelo, all those Renaissance Turtles. artists. <laughs> yeah, everyone's everyone's <laughs> making art because they got to eat. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, I think and 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 the, I think like the decision to do something that is a little bit more commercial is is never something to like belittle or uh, to look down on. I mean, no, certainly not. Uh, it's yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, you're doing your professional work is very different from your personal work. Does that make it lesser? Does that make it better? No, it's just what it is. And, uh, and you're doing a cool thing in, in both areas. Yeah. And, and I think, Sorry. Um, um, sorry. No, yeah. go ahead. Um, I think it's nice to have professional work that's artistic, but very different from what I like to do personally. It means that I don't feel like so tired of drawing all day uh, on something that I'm using to like, I, I really enjoy my work, uh, and I make pretty decent money off of it. Um, but I'm not so tired and exhausted of drawing. Uh, if like, I'm not so tired at the end of the day of my work day that I can't just continue drawing. It's, it's nice that I can kind of like keep going. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah. What a what a trite saying, but <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes it sometimes those things are true, and yeah, I totally get what you mean. You know, you you spend eight hours a day doing one thing. You want to come home and do something different. Hey, so this is a point at which we had another cut, but this is also a point at which our audio 
um, had a little issues getting out of sync. So it might seem at some points like we're talking over each other. Um, that's not what we were doing in uh, in real life when we were having this conversation. We are not the either of us terribly rude people, I don't think. Uh, I'll at least vouch for Ariana in that. Um, no, it was just uh, some more technical difficulties that we were fighting through. Uh, and it should not be a problem in future episodes. But just for now, keep that in mind. Uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay, yeah. so it was great getting to uh, reconnect with you. It's been a little while, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I know it's been tough given that we're on literally, literally the exact opposite sides of the world. Um, literally. Uh, I'm here yep, like from Montreal to Mongolia, right? It's almost as as right around the world as you can get, I guess. Only if I were in the southern hemisphere could I get closer. <laughs> Farther. Yeah. yeah. Farther? <laughs> um, but yeah, it it's been it's been a good long while it's... and I I miss having those Google Hangouts. I miss doing the the portrait contest trash talking that's a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i uh, i think i fell out of that like very fairly quickly my trash talk game isn't is quite up there so so real quick <laughs> um what what are your plans for the the next coming years professionally personally whatever you don't have to have any plans but if you do what are your plans Um, so professionally, uh, there's kind of just like a typical track that an artist would go through, uh, in the CG world, especially in lighting. Um, so I'm going to follow that. It, it mostly involves like working a lot and then switching companies when they run out of work for you to do. Um, and then just going up that corporate ladder, uh, and so that's the professional goal is to kind of move up, uh, head towards um, like art direction, uh, possibly um, is one route that it goes. And personally, I don't know. I kind of want to see where this comic goes. It's uh, It's been pretty fun. I forgot how much fun it is to make a comic. Like I'm getting home at like six or seven in the evening and making dinner and doing some chores and then I get on drawing this thing at around eight or nine um and uh, usually I'll end up sitting there until three in the morning before I realize holy shit no I need to sleep because I need to work in the morning um you've got so like I haven't yeah I haven't yeah it's uh it's like I, I've forgotten what it, it feels like to kind of um, like voluntarily do something and, and enjoy it to the point where you kind of just forget that time passes. Like that's kind of that, that flow that is the, the rage in the whole meditation circle and <laughs> uh, like self-help uh, living thing. Right. But it, it's been a, it's been nice. Um, and 
maybe that's just how it is recently. Hopefully it'll continue being like that. Hopefully uh, I'll continue having this, like, staying up until three in the morning. Remember to take care of yourself (laughs) in the meantime, you know. (laughs) It's been a while, but I still still consider you my friend. And I want you to stay happy and healthy enough to keep doing the things that you like doing. (laughs) For sure. You too, though. Um, I hope you get the, the time to uh, work on art uh, and that. I hope that photography yeah. thing yeah, goes we'll see. Well. It's, uh, there, there's a barrier to entry to that that is going to be difficult to overcome. But um, yeah, not, not talking about it too much right now. But um, yeah, thank you. And uh, all right. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you, Ariana. This right, has been well, great talking with you too, Gabe. I guess we have wrapped it up. Yep, we will cut it there. All right. No, really though, it's been great. It's been it's been real fun, and um, yeah, I would love to have you as another guest later on down the line. That wraps up this episode. Thank you all for listening, and again, I'd like to give a big thank you to Ariana for joining me for the first episode. And now that we know what a bellwether is, that it's an indicator of coming trends, I hope that this episode will also be an indicator of how this podcast will go in the future. Talking with Ariana was very easy, and it was great getting to learn about her art and how it fits into her life. It's got me excited for all the guests to come. Finally, don't forget to check out her website, bellweatherart.com, her Instagram, her Tumblr, her Twitter. All that's going to be linked in the description, and she's a woman that you want to follow. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe and comment, and I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Creative Lines.